the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. Hi Jeanette, how's it going? Not too bad, how are you today? Yeah, yeah, I can't complain. Um, Jeanette, uh, so first of all, thanks for thanks for joining us on, on Thrill of the Hill. Uh, excited to have you guys here. Um, I, I was conscious that when, when we put together the proposals for, for this, this podcast series, that uh, we were going to be covering a lot of Upland discussion. And, and I felt that there was a, a requirement to have have some representation for Crofton counties in there. So, so no, we're, we're really happy to have you. No, thank you very much for inviting us. Jeanette, um, can, can you give for, for our listeners a kind of brief introduction as to, to what your role is um, at Portree and, and the kind of level of crofting work that you're involved in? Yeah, well, thanks very much. So my name's Jeanette and I'm based in the Portree office. I'm the senior consultant here. And um, basically, the majority of our clients are crofters and the majority of those crofters will be crofters that have uh, rights of uh, grazing and common grazings. So um, common grazings are a really, really important part of uh, the crofting in Sky and um, and they're actually uh, they make up six percent of Scotland so I think they are um, really important and I think sometimes that because they're a bit complicated and maybe some people think they're a bit obscure they maybe don't get the importance and the attention that they need so thank you very much for inviting us on today. Good good stuff and, and how is how's the Isle of Sky doing with with coronavirus? Well, I think people are adjusting. It's uh, there's obviously been a lot of changes with uh, uh, with agriculture. Um, we weren't able to have the same normal of livestock sales that we normally did, and they were normally a big social occasion as well. But um, so far, the the, um, the cases have been relatively. Uh, um, um, low in number, and um, it will just be trying to prepare for going into the winter time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've uh, I've been speaking to a number of, of guests now, and I, I think the kind of general consensus across the board is that agriculture's had to be quite resilient uh, in terms of how it deals with with coronavirus. Um, so, no, that that's that's good to hear that you guys are coping all right. No, but I think it's going to be, I think it is going to be a hard winter. And I think there's, because crofting a lot of the time, it's not people's 100% what they do. So uh, implications for other industries like tourism and that does does have impacts. Mm-hmm. And that, that'll be a really big thing for, for Sky. Um, I've only been there once, but it, it was absolutely packed with uh, with tourists at the time. It was great. Yes, lockdown was uh, somewhat eerie. <laughs> but mm-hmm. also, I have to say that for uh, people working a lot of common grazings, um, they found a lot of benefits because uh, they could uh, gather the sheep without lots of visitors' dogs or uh, cars in the way and things like that. So um, it's, uh, there's, uh, I suppose there's a, a silver lining to anything. So, Jeanette, what was the current state of Scotland's uh, crofts and, and common grazings? Well, I think there's, um, I, I, I think it's, I think there's a lot of diversity within crofting, and so uh, common grazings um, can be quite small. There could be maybe a common grazings with. Uh, uh, 
a small number of shareholders, uh, maybe uh, three to five, and that makes it one uh, relatively easy to manage because there's few people to speak to uh, arranging uh, group activities, whereas you can have large general grazings that can have more than 100 shareholders. So that becomes a much more uh, uh, difficult thing to organize and manage but i think the i think sometimes when something's existed for a long time it can be quite easy to overlook because if you think about it six percent of scotland is managed uh, collaboratively collaboratively by communities and um and this the common grazings also tend to be areas of um are uh, really high nature value uh farming areas so they're really important for diversity for biodiversity they're really important for maintaining traditional culture and so there's a lot of benefits but uh, it would be wrong to say that they don't face an awful lot of challenges and that they really need support that is um, designed for uh, crofting and common grazings rather than just trying to get a one like Scotland one size all package to fit them because they do have uh, unique challenges. And for those listeners who, Jeanette, maybe aren't in Crofting County, don't have an awful lot of experience with crofts, can, can you define what, what it means to be a croft? So a, a croft is any uh, holding that is regulated by the Crofting Commission. So it may be a case that you're you're on a croft and you're next door to another holding that's not in crofting and there's no particular difference. You may, may be the same quality of grass, obviously the same latitude and everything like that. So it's really um, it, what makes uh, crofting unique is that it's a, a regulated uh, tenancy and this is uh, it's as a, it's a, uh, brought in as a result of a, a, a as a reaction to uh, the negative effects of the highland clearances. So the, for a croft uh, compared to a farm tenancy tends to have uh, the benefits that it's a relatively a low rent, it's very secure, you can assign, freely assign, as, as long as the Crofting Commission doesn't uh, have an issue to a family member or to a non-family member. And um, but you do have duties as well, so um, you need to um, you need to be actively uh, cultivating the croft, not neglecting it. And there's also a residency duty of how that you should be um, within living within 16 miles of the croft. Okay, yeah, no, that sounds good. And Jeanette, we, we talk we're, we're going to have a kind of broader discussion about common grazings, but am, am I right in thinking that not not every croft in Scotland will have a common grazing? No, that's quite true. And um, and there's if if crofts don't have a share in the common grazings, it may be because they were never designed like that, and they may just have an area of moorland. Um, the other thing might be that they might have in the past have had a share in the common grazings, but over time they've apportioned, which is when you can take an area of the common grazings for your sole use. So they're uh, so they've got land that they wholly manage. So, um, but I would say that the one of the 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 that common grazings are so important because uh, a lot of the crofting areas are store producing areas, and it's a and there there's you need um you need a certain number to sustain local livestock sales, and uh, it's the the livestock that 
uh, are on the common gracings that tend to be the engine room of that. So although you might think that somebody's got a very small croft, if you don't think about what sh common grazing shares they have and how they use the, those common grazing shares, you might not get a full picture of their, their actual farming enterprise. Presumably, um, when it comes to, to, to working with common grazings, there is a level of negotiation there uh, with, with, with management. And, and how, how does that generally work? Well, there's um, common grazings, um, if they're in office, means that they've um, elected a committee and there's um, laws about how that's done and it's regulated by uh, the Crofting Commission. So uh, basically that they would advertise and that they would organise together and they would create a committee and the committee would normally have a clerk who tends to be sort of secretary, deals with a lot of the paperwork, often could be um, the leader. Other times they can have a chairman or a treasurer, depending on how co complex their situation is. And um, that's, and then common grazings have, each common grazings has its own regulations and that's rules on how the, the sheep and the cattle are managed. Um, and it might be like there might be a certain area where the sheep need to be taken off by a certain date and put on by a certain date. And uh, obviously in other islands, like in um, US, uh, the, there'll be cropping that are on the common grazings as well. So in your opinion then, Jeanette, is there anything to be learnt for, in the broader sense of, of Scottish agriculture from, from this more cooperative kind of land management? I think there's a lot uh, to be said for uh, crofting how the fact that people have managed to be keeping managing the land and uh, keeping um, the 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 culture alive, but when it's not been enough to sustain a family full time, and so the fact that the the cooperation uh, with uh, uh, fellow crofters and by economic necessity, most crofters aren't full time, that they do have other jobs is something that um, you wonder whether that's going to be a more common model as uh, changes happen. The other thing is, and it's by no means all common grazing, so it's more particular, more it, it's more of, um, popular in some areas than others, but there's also on common grazings in the past, they've made cooperative businesses that are sheep stock clubs. So mm -hmm. that's basically where the, the, the only, sh the, the crofters have, um, banded together and instead of having their all their own individual sheep flocks on that area of common land, they've uh, banded together and they've created one common sheep stock club with one common um, management and it's often allowed them to maybe um, employ a shepherd and uh, that's how they've uh, um, that's how they've found a cooperative model to um, to manage both the extensive land areas and um, uh, and uh, the assets that they have. So I think they're, they're as I think those kind of uh, cooperative models, although they're not actually very easy to create right now, um, uh, to create a new sheep stock club would be relatively tricky. But um, I think that as a model, there's there's a lot that can be learned from that. Uh, and Scottish government has put a lot of support into into Crofton counties. Can can you talk a little bit about the impact that things like CAGs have, um, and maybe some of the the agri environment climate scheme um, projects that have been going on in, in Crofton County? 
Yeah, I think the I think the 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 Crofton counties are a really interesting example of um, having a, a sort of a, an agricultural network, and by having crofts that people can live on, but actually creates really uh, vibrant rural communities because then uh, people can uh, you know diversify, create other businesses, and it allows there to be. Um, it helps keep a certain level of population, and that's also that's really important for then having services like schools and um, and uh, so I think I think there's I think I'm not denying that there's a, a lot of support, but I think that the support um, is is well rewarded in the the, the vibrant communities and uh, the other economic benefits that that brings to the areas. So now. There's a, you mentioned a few things now. CAGS is an unusual scheme. It's a capital grant to help uh, crofting businesses invest in infrastructure that they just wouldn't be able to afford with the, the returns being relatively low. And I think this is really important because it means that um, you know, like it, it means that people are able to work with a, a have safe handling equipment, so it reduces the health and safety risk, it increases animal welfare, and they they can invest and uh, things like uh, reseeding or uh, good fencing and things like that. Um, and also uh, common grazing themselves can apply. And this can be really powerful because if you can really reduce how much each individual needs to pay in, if you're all, if you are able to get a CAGS grant for a handling facility and you, man, and you all use the same handling facility, then that reduces the, the capital outlay, which means it's much more easy to have uh, relatively small herds but still be using uh, modern equipment that keeps um, everybody, including vets and those visiting and department inspectors, safe. The other thing that you mentioned was uh, the agri-environment schemes. And I think agri-environment schemes are important when it comes to common grazings um, because it helps recognise the the value of the uh, of the uh, the nature that's there, and also it helps manage um, by looking at things like grazing levels long term. It helps manage things that are becoming more current now, but aren't really catered for at the moment so much as uh, the carbon store and the um, peat bogs and things like that. We, we talked um, previously with with uh, another consultant, uh, Robert Ramsey, about getting uh, beef cattle back up on on the hills um, and really driving productivity. In terms of um, getting cattle onto crofts um, and, and even upping upping sheep numbers, is that something that that you think we we need to be doing? Is that something that you would encourage? I think that there's a. I think that there's um, that uh, hill cattle are 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 an excellent um, are an excellent use of common grazings and a mixed grazing pattern um, can be very important. Sky's quite uh, uh, got quite a lot of. Uh, cattle and like we have a big store calf sale and a major a lot of them would come from uh, uh, cows uh, that are on common grazings so I think this is why the the importance of common grazings uh, shouldn't be overlooked because if you didn't have those common grazings and people only had their in by croft lands the stocking rates would be a lot less um, I think there's um, there's mo- maybe a, a better understanding now 
of the biodiversity benefits that uh, having extensive cattle and sheep ring, not just for um, a more charismatic species, but even just for the fact that if there's dung that's helping the insects and the the, pre, the base level of uh, productivity on on the on the common grazings. Would it be fair to say as well, Jeanette, that? Uh, because a, a, a lot of crofters have, have second jobs um, and other sources of employment and income, that they're maybe more open to looking at diversification um, and, and options for things like renewable technology on crofts as well. I think that um, I, I think the fact that uh, uh, the crofting counties do tend to have people that have got. Uh, other employment or other things probably does maybe make them more open to things because they're being uh, there's they're they're not just like focused only on their own business they're seeing other things so I think that um, that it does that 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 is definitely a, a positive of crofting but that's not to say that it's always just looking for the new things because it's the importance of keeping traditions going is why um, you're seeing you know common grazing uh, committees staying in office even if maybe the policy signals haven't been tremendously um, strong for that and uh, and sheepstock clubs um, organizing succession and like trying to keep uh, the next generation interested because uh, you know common grazing is like I've said high nature value farming but there are a lot of them are not easy grounds to work and it needs uh, you need a lot of people and you need uh, and you need fit people as well for that so I think there's um there's there's uh there's there's probably quite an, uh, a good balance of um uh, seeing new things and uh, and uh, and adapting to new things but also holding on to the the key things that uh, matters from a traditional point of view as well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you you touched Jeanette on on the heritage uh, aspects of, of crofting um, and we, we've talked a little bit about the the environmental benefits what, what's always struck me about crofts is that although generally they're, they're, they're smaller units with uh, with less cattle and, and, and less sheep that small patchwork of, of of different land types within a croft is really good from a from a biodiversity perspective, and it's it's when when people look at the the farmed upland environment, they tend to to look at big estates with huge uh, open moorlands, and I think it's really important that we get the message across that that there's tremendous diversity within small pockets of of land. Yeah, and I think that's probably one of Crofting's strengths because when you're looking at a township, it's um, there'll be a if you think of a you imagine a an imaginary township with fifteen crofts, there'll be fifteen individual management decisions being made on that croft for the in background, and that might be have a mixture of a. Uh, like maybe people making hay or silage or growing fodder crops or planting trees or hedges and having uh, in-buy crops, uh, in-buy um, uh, livestock. But on the common grazings, there'll be, um, if there's not a sheepstock club, it will be individual herds, but there'll be a, a manner of like a, a collaborative management through the grazings committee that will set when, you know, uh, what when animals can go out, and they'd be the ones that would drive whether that uh, that common grazing is applied for things like agri environment schemes and that. So there, it does mean that there's, um, you know, I think sometimes 
the, people can say, oh, you know, it's just all monoculture. And that's certainly not not the case um, with um, in a lot of crofting townships. And I think, you know, when you think about the edge effects and species, the importance of uh, uh, species, then I think that is really important. And I think hopefully we're now moving away from thinking, oh, this is my productive area and this is my area for nature, because actually what a lot of species need is the uh, low intensity managed grassland for um, over a large area for, you know, um, uh, for wading birds or with specific management for corn creeks. And uh, we were uh, speaking to um Jamie Boyle and RSPB for a podcast about uh, growing crops newest and the the crofting system on those common grazings actually mean that they've got the highest density of wading birds in the whole of Western Europe. So there's, um, I think, crofting can show how um, agriculture can actually not just not damage wildlife, but actually be a real positive, um, a real positive for wildlife and biodiversity. Good, good. And Jeanette, do you? We're hearing more and more about the the, the green recovery and and the climate crisis. Do, do you see um, crofting as being particularly at threat of uh, of changes due to climate change? I think there. I I think there is definite. I think crofting is possibly threatened, but even crofting now is probably is living with the consequences of the climate change that we've had because our, the summers are certainly wetter and that probably has as well as um, maybe more people having uh, jobs off has definitely meant that there's a lot less crops grown and there's a lot less hay and silage is preferred so I think that there has been there has been probably people have adapted already even though it maybe didn't get the title of uh, climate change and that definitely is going to to have implications. I do get concerned when people, you know, there's often um, uh, sort of blanket messages like, uh, you know, cattle are bad for the environment because of methane and things like that. And I worry that people maybe just focusing on pure efficiency could mean that the the extensive systems maybe on paper look worse and then those cattle would be, oh, well, we shouldn't have those cattle there. But actually, the ecosystem services that those cattle are doing, I would say, makes any sort of carbon cost through less efficiency. I, I would consider that would be something that should be like definitely looked at in the round and not just jump on, oh, well, you know, because of the, that's uh, because of the, you know, kilograms of um, um, the, um, the productivity, then that those systems are, you know, like uh, under threat. Does that... Does that make sense? Do you see what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm totally with you here. I, I've, I've had a, very recently the, the same kind of conversation. Um, we know that Scottish government are, are particularly interested in providing public good um, going forward. Uh, and I, I've always contended that grazing livestock are, are critical to providing that kind of public good. I mean, from a, from a habitat management perspective yeah. um but but uh, you know we also have to keep the countryside tidy and, and and looking neat i mean scotland has fantastic landscapes nobody wants to come to, to an overgrown um hill you know, so i i do think there's an argument to be to be made there that, that grazing livestock are an important component of of 
countryside management. Yeah, and I think you have to remember that the the uh, I I understand completely that food itself is not a public good because that's uh, something that you can sell. You can sell your calf or your sheep, but the food production systems certainly are, and hefted hill flocks should be considered a public good because they would be so. It would be so impossible to try and, or it would be very, very expensive to try and replicate it once they're gone. And hefted hill flocks, they've got a lot of, um, they've, they've got a lot of benefits um, for biodiversity, like we've talked about already. But also, there's, um, they're like a, a living cultural landscape because um, we did a film uh, with the James Hutton um, called Grazing on the Edge, and it was about common graziers in in Sky, and um, the the wealth of knowledge that they had and all the the Gaelic place names for the different gathers and stuff like that. You know, people may say, oh, you know, so, you know, sheep, what do they do? But uh, the, the the associated culture and uh, that goes along with them would, uh, wouldn't would exist, you know, uh, or I mean, I suppose it could be preserved in a museum, but it wouldn't be the same rather than like a, a living, uh, working thing. And... Um- Moving forward into into twenty twenty one, Jeanette, what what would you like to see from 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 Scottish government? What would you like to see the industry doing themselves? What what do you think is really um, is really interesting? What what's happening right now that that you think we should be paying more attention to? I think that. Uh Crofting and common grazings maybe need to have a bit more confidence in themselves and their systems, because I think that the the value of what they do day to day is being I think is being recognised more. But um, I think uh, crofters need to have the confidence to think about you know like you know we produce this quality stock, but actually we're also producing, uh, and it's maybe. Uh, uh, new words, but you know, like uh, natural capital or public goods, like you know, uh, crofters, uh, uh, you know, appreciate the the landscape and the wildlife that they work alongside. And I think the it would be uh, good for the you know, being a common grazing clerk is maybe a, a, an unenviable job at times. But the fact of that amount of community uh, collaboration exists i think that should be only supported more because if you have um it's it's really a good a good common grazings can really make a lot of the other things easier if you've got a common grazing that's got excellent handling facilities then it means that it's much easier for a, a young crofter to come in and start with cattle because they maybe only need to money out for the actual animals but they don't need to spend anything on a crush in that because the community facility already exists so i think that um yeah i think there needs to be um you know uh, continued support and but also uh, confidence and um, to face the future because you know it is uncertain it's not going to be easy but I think I don't think uh, crofting communities should feel that they're on the back foot you know they've adapted and changed to a lot and I'm sure that they will going forward as well. Okay uh, Jeanette you mentioned there something that I, I want to pick up on the the importance of uh, a common grazing's clerk it, now w- with multiple people working on a common grazing's how do you manage conflict i i'm sure there must be conflict and and how do you how do you manage this, the decision making process I, i'm i'm just thinking uh, 
you know, hypothetically, um, a common grazing that's maybe a bit poached. You know, how do you how do you encourage everybody to, to bring their cattle off or, or, or their sheep or, um, you know, a, a fence that's down? How, how do you approach that subject with, with multiple people? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, this is um, from the, the system. This is where common grazing regulations uh, come into their, their fore, because if the, if the regulations are up to date and people are aware of them, then that's the sort of thing that the committee could, uh, you know, look at and consult and maybe think, well, actually, do we need to maybe change this rule that um, uh, this area um, isn't grazed in this month? And then... Um, and then that and that can be one way of doing it. The other thing could be like, say, if there was a reason why um, the the poaching was bad in that area, but there was a a, a a capital work that could be done, maybe a hard standing and a feeding area further up the road, this um, that would reduce the pressure in that area. Then the common grazing committee can um, decide to do, um, do an improvement like that, um, depending on what uh, they can uh, make sure that they, you know, consult all the shareholders and everything. But actually, um, then they can apply for the uh, they can uh, apply for a CAGS grant to get support. So that means that maybe the cost of the hard standing is is much less per individual shareholder or cattle keeper, but it actually has a, a wide, not, not just a benefit for the individual cattle keepers, but it's also got a benefit for the biodiversity. So I think the, there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of positives about having a committee in office uh, because they can do things like that. Whereas if you had a common grazing that had no committee in office, though the, the the poaching issue would probably just keep going. It would stay the same or get worse. So I think that's probably the the one important thing is like by having a committee in office, then it makes it much easier to use levers to improve things. And um, but I won't hide from the fact that. Um, it's uh, they can it can take a lot of time, and it can take a lot of negotiation, and um, and I think that it's these sort of what um, the policy people call these transaction costs that maybe aren't very clearly understood and rewarded, but when those uh, when those uh, discussions happen and people move together collaboratively, the 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 power of what they do is so much greater than if they all try to manage on their own. That I think. I would like to see a lot more support towards transaction costs of like trying to before you um, working on either infrastructure or starting to um, manage biodiversity and things more. I think that would really help. With the majority of crofts being, I, I would argue, in, in areas of, of um, certainly the upland environment, if not rough grazing environment, and with the prevalence of deer. In, in those kind of habitats, how how are deer managed on on common grazings? Well, I mean, there'd be there'd be a wide variety, but certainly I know that there's a more of a push now for the local deer management groups to in, consider crofting issues, and I think it's the sort of thing that if uh, uh, crofters have concerns, that that's the sort of thing that they a bit of uh, collaboration either with their with their landlords or with the local deer management groups would would certainly would would certainly uh, benefit. 
No, that's good. Uh, we're, we're going to be um, following up uh, on a discussion with the, the Venison Advisory Service uh, with regards to, uh, to to deer management and, and venison production. Um, so no, it's it's just it's interesting to get the, the yeah, cro crofting but, perspective on deer. As we talked about, there'd be a uh, there'd be a wide variety in crofting. So there'd be uh, some crofters that would have a, a, a strong interest in me, uh, stocking themselves, and there'd be other ones that would maybe. Uh, if they had a problem with uh, deer in their silage, we need to call on neighbours or gamekeepers. Um, so yeah, but uh, um, I think definitely if if either crofts or common grazings uh, have uh, problems with uh, with deer, that there are mechanisms in place to try and help that, and so they should. Um, that's something that they can they can explore, and your podcast might explore that further. Obviously, the the farmed upland environment has a host of, 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 of different species in it already. Is there any kind of conflict there uh, uh, in terms of how you manage existing wildlife? Um, and, you know, how do people get around that? I'm, I'm thinking issues with issues with foxes. We already touched on touched on deer, um, predatory birds, particularly for, for areas with, with high wader concentrations have been a big issue. Um, how, do, how do farmers and crofters deal with that? So um, I I think uh, obviously there'll be some areas with common grazings that don't have any foxes, and we do have foxes in Sky. And I think that there the, there may be a wee bit of a thing of the past, but they're very effective, and I'd be definitely thinking that they should be reinvigorated. Is that there used to be fox clubs, and that's where uh, people would pay a certain amount of subscription uh, for uh, based on maybe how much sheep they had and then that would help um, uh, uh, fund a, a fox uh, controller and I think that's really important because with any kind of um, when you're trying to manage a population like foxes I think sort of piecemeal control can sometimes be uh, well not good for animal welfare but also maybe not so effective so I think there is a, a, a there's, there's an importance of sort of bringing that back because not only um, there's more work now that shows the importance, like you mentioned, of controlling foxes for things like waders and things like hen harriers, as well as for agricultural um, production. So I think there's, um, there's a, I think a need for some sort of reinvigoration on that point of view. Um, that probably the 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 big the more modern issue is that with the reintroduction of sea eagles, um, that can be uh, pose particular problems in particular areas, and there is uh, Nature Scott has a uh, has a scheme and has call off contractors that try and help deal with that uh, recognised uh, conflict that there can be in some areas, and uh, uh, um, and. Yeah, I think if there's um, in in crofting, obviously they'll have um, some enthusiasts for for controlling wildlife, and I think um, there tends to be a lot of informal collaboration for like if you've uh, problems with things like hooded crows and stuff like that. In terms of the agri environment climate scheme and and what is available specifically for small units, there is a range of options there. And you mentioned hooded crows. We can talk a bit about predator control. Obviously, there's the the cattle retention on small units option. What's your opinion on the uptake of these options for um, crofters across Scotland? And is are, are these options practical um, on a small scale? I think. Um 
I've seen a lot of positivity from previous versions of schemes that had the cattle uh, introduction because uh, in the previous uh, versions, you only had to introduce two cows and there's a lot of uh, uh, crofters now with uh, maybe 20 cows, but that their herd would have started with two cows in uh, maybe RSS days and stuff. So I do think um, the cattle introduction and the cattle retention um, payments um, were were valuable, but obviously nothing works on its own. Um, They're an important and they they helped recognise the the value of cattle, but um, it would be naive to think that they on their own did that. The importance, the the buoyant store calf trade also um, uh, would be a major driver to keeping people um, interested in uh, in cattle, and that obviously has uh, big biodiversity benefits. the The current um, EEC scheme, the small cattle uh, payment, is maybe not quite as. Uh, relevant to a lot of units as the previous versions were because it's um, quite selective for uh, for measures that have um, some element of uh, mechanical use, like something that you would need to take a contractor in for. So, for example, wader graze grassland, which is an important um, part of a lot of the biodiversity management on crofts, isn't actually something that gets an, a, an extra top up for from the small units payment. So, I think there's um, a need to look at crofts more holistically because, as you've mentioned, they tend to be much smaller units. So, the idea like uh, that you can hive off like this area is for this species in this area is for these species it's a, it's a relative it's a low input mosaic as a whole in a patchwork across a whole township that is where the the real biodiversity benefits come from so i think that um if schemes could be uh, tweaked to take that reality into place more that would be that would be useful and i do think it's positive that there's now uh, like the cattle, um, like the cattle schemes and that, and there's um there's a sort of a recognition of the importance of grazing in these schemes, whereas I think in the past a lot of times people used to think, oh, environmental schemes that's just stock reduction or taking stock off, whereas actually um the the importance of high nature value farming is systems is that that the stock are there because actually the biggest threat to probably biodiversity in the Crofton counties would be land abandonment. For a lot of crofters, particularly on the West Coast as well, there have been um, options specifically at, uh, at national priority species like corncrake, um, and I'm, I'm thinking great yellow bumblebee. Can, can you talk a little bit about some of the crofting practices that are going on that are really promoting those uh, species in particular? Yeah, corn creeks are a really interesting uh, species to think about because certainly in Sky, uh, there's very much, uh, and RSPB will happily say this, that it's uh, active crofting is very good for corn creeks. Um, the corn creeks, uh, their numbers tend to be better in areas where uh, people have cattle, they're making silage, they've um, uh, got a diversity of uh, species, so like uh, their vegetation, it's not just all graze down hard. There'll be areas that have got taller vegetation for uh, like nettles or irises and things like that. Um, however, uh, crofting, although some people think it is, it's not um, stuck in the past. So uh, obviously some changes like have uh, been uh, difficult for the corn creek. Um, some of the, I would say, 
the move from crops to grass and the fact that a lot of that grass is silage that is cut earlier is is not ideal. So there's a real uh, there's a real importance to have um, schemes that support things uh, support measures like the, the the later cutting of silage and the cutting that in a concrete friendly manner that cuts from the centre of the field out the way and also creating these areas that means that when the corn creeks fly in in the springtime that they see a big flush of nettles and somewhere tall that they can hide from the predators because um, foxes that we're talking about before and, um, and, and hawks can be an issue for corn creeks as well. On the issue of the nettles, I have seen. Uh, obviously, I'm not. Um, I'm, I'm not in Crofton counties. I wouldn't consider myself um, on the west coast, even though we're, we're based here at Air. Um, there are heaps of nettles um, in, in any video that you, you see with uh, with, with corn creek. It's, it's quite incredible. Um, but, but no, it's it's great habitat. Yeah, and, no, and it's it's surprising because it is one of those things that's a bit counterintuitive. Because uh, and certainly, there's I'm sure there's many times that the, uh, my clients think I'm a bit unhinged. But certainly, when you're encouraging them to fence off areas or have areas fenced off with electrical fencing and to take the midden and uh, with all the nettles and put it in that area, so you're planting nettles uh, is certainly we've covered that in Faz videos actually. But it is something that uh, takes a is a bit of a change from the normal just like let's get rid of all weeds mentality <laughs> i've been involved in the production of several several videos and and some podcasts now um to do with promoting pollinators across scotland this year under the farm advisory service have you been involved in any any works on sky to do with the likes of the great yellow bumblebee that we, we mentioned or or pollinator work in particular on on crofts and and common grazings so there's quite a nice synergy actually between corn creeks that we were talking about before and pollinators because when you're creating these areas of maybe nettles or irises that are early in late cover for corn creeks you can also at the same time relatively inexpensively um put some uh wildflowers that are uh, help with a uh, um, nectar for uh, pollinators and I think there's a, an aspect that um, that um, that uh, crofting because of the low intensity uh, grassland there is a lot of uh, just natural diversity in a lot of the fields and that is really important for pollinators. How important is uh, is the management of, of macker um, for, for crofters? Uh, crofters that have maher, it's a real asset, as well as it being a great national asset for biodiversity. Um, it's a, it's great uh, as a place that they can outwinter cattle because it's a uh, shale sand, nice and dry place for them. It's uh, with their particular management that takes account of the unique situations. It's it can be uh, they can get uh, good stocks of uh, winter feed from it. Um, so it is a, a it is it's 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 a really really valuable habitat, and it's um, and it's um, and yeah it's 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 very very unique. So Jeanette, we're just coming to towards the end of this podcast. Is there anything in particular that you want people to take away from this episode? 
If your common grazings and any of these issues are of interest, I would definitely suggest that you can uh, look at the FAS website because we've done quite a lot of work on different aspects. We've got a, a, a cartoon series called uh, uh, Com Common Grazing's Dilemmas. So, you know, you talked about conflict. There was a few things that have maybe been uh, situations that have likely caused con uh, conflict and some options for Common Grazing's committees. We've also got um, materials on... Um, uh, succession for sheepstock clubs and um, and lots of issues about uh, uh, updating like things that I've touched on like updating your regulations or anything like that so there's a host of material so if any of these questions uh, any of the things I've mentioned um, pose any questions um, then certainly uh, look at the FAS website call the FAS helpline and um, and there's a wealth of stuff on common grazings, but also for individual crofts, there's uh, lots of information about um, actions that you can do um, about, um, on, on various things on the FAS website as well. Good. Well, thank you very much for, for joining us, Jeanette. That was good. Excellent.